The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Have you um, have you paid for it yet, or is it all? Uh, I only owe nineteen hundred dollars on so it. So it's still on layaway. Yeah, it's just uh, and there's money gotcha. towards it. I gotcha. I mean, Joy. it's not like anyone else is going to buy it. Catch Roland up on what the Satori is. Satori is an antelope monitor, uh, yeah, monitor controller slash summing mixer. Okay. From Antelope Audio. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The that... guys that made our um, converter downstairs. Yeah, it's got like something ridiculous, like six inputs and four monitor outputs, four headphone outputs. Uh, did you get the Did you get the remote too? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. It's it's a it's a rack mount unit, um, but it comes with uh, comes with a remote so you can extend it to your desktop, so you don't have to you don't have to reach over to the rack mount all the time. Yeah, okay. you could have it set up, I don't know, on the side of your desk instead of. Yeah. Uh, so you oh. plan to get a four set of uh, monitors at some point? Uh, well, this is gonna <laughs> be uh, this is where it's going next. <laughs> it's gonna be a thirty-two IO studio. So I want to be able to have monitor mixes for everybody. Okay. And to be able to listen to those monitor mixes, which yeah, gotcha. yeah. the Satori will let me do because I can monitor a ridiculous amount of inputs. So how are you going to do that? Because the, the, the Satori itself is not a four-channel headphone amplifier. No. Is it? No. So no. But how it's are got you... that um, four, uh, it's got that DB25 in and then the through. So I'm going to probably use those as my headphone mixes. Oh, it's got a through as well. Yeah. So, okay. And then I'll go through out to headphone amplifiers. I gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. I, I kind of wish, I kind of wish we had something like that here where we could, I could listen to post compressor, the headphone mix. Cause right now all, all I can access is the pre compressor headphone mix. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, that'd be that'd be really cool to have you know, to hear that next ch- item in the chain. Yeah. Well, that's the idea is to be able to hear everything. Yeah. I'm probably gonna get a Flock Audio patch bay. So uh, have they released the price on that yet? Not yet, but mm. they keep releasing more and more information on it. I so. don't know what el- what other information they need to release. It seems well, like- they like show like how what the interface or the the software looks like and stuff like that yeah. which i mean they, they've already kind of did it but it, they have a bit more in depth of like how it works what's your uh, guess on the price i'm i'm guessing it's in the it's in the 500 per unit range which i think is fair yeah that would still be cheaper than buying a couple 48 point um patch uh, patch bays and then all the cabling for it. 
cables I are expensive. Disagree. Well, you still have to you still have to wire up to it, right? And it's all DB25 connection, and that's that's I'm, that's pretty expensive. Well, I was already going to have DB25 connections everywhere anyway. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I needed to for the patch bay, I was going to just fan out though. How do you mean? Like get it a fan oh so, so yeah okay that makes it even more expensive though i know it does but like majority of the cables i'm going to have is just going to be db25 cables just so that i'm not taking up as much space right yeah and i know that's going to be an investment but i, I think kind it's of... a worthwhile investment yeah yeah that's i'll fair. probably end up building those cables fair because i have to build the snake which is going to be the majority of the cabling anyway i have a db25 jig already made up Mm -hmm. um so if you uh if you need a little little jig to tie the end to individually wrap the cables to solder the cables to you don't wrap them already yeah anyway um yeah so there's that all right yeah um Yeah, so uh <laughs> Oh, um Roland also asked uh about your monitoring situation. Like were you expanding to four uh two sets of monitors? Or did you uh, ask four sets of monitors? Well I just said four jokingly because he said he had like four monitor outputs. So right. I was like, so you're planning on getting four monitors, just just joking. But, uh yeah. well, I only have three sets of monitors currently. Mm. So I don't plan on getting a fourth set. But who knows? Maybe I'll buy some ridiculous like five way or something. <laughs> so that seems to be the pattern I'm going to. It's just bigger. <laughs> and yet and yet you're gonna be confined in a small basement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That five way is gonna be needed. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I need speakers the size of a wall, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I like the neighbors. Hell yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, it's no. going to be what I'm trying to avoid. Because no, it's, it's going to be in a house. And his neighbor, his neighbors are going to be his in-laws. Uh, one of them. One. Well, yeah, yeah, one of them. But they do qualify as neighbors. Yeah. I don't think they would have a problem hearing music. It depends what time of day. Well, yeah, obviously. Right? But I, I'm not going to be... That, that place isn't... Like, the studio as a whole is not going to be open past 8 o'clock, really. Really? Yeah. So it's in a residential neighborhood. I'm not. And I suppose, but most of my clients. It's not to say that I won't on occasion work past that. Uh, just, just I'm going to make it a general rule that it's open from eight o'clock to eight o'clock. All right. I think you'll lose a lot of clientele by um, limiting I, your hours. I don't much. care. You will when you go to be paying bills. Well, whatever. I'm not doing it full time <laughs> to begin with. That's true. If I was full time, I'd probably care. But at the same yeah. time, like, what's eight o'clock versus ten o'clock? Because ten o'clock is when it would have to shut down, mm-hmm. uh, like legally. Eleven is noise by law. Mm. Um. Well, regardless, at least in, in, in our like, city at the moment, if it's eleven o'clock, then I should be shutting down at ten. So, like. But, but that's the thing is if, um, if your average client works a day job 
and your average client probably works until five. The difference between six to eight and six to 10 is pretty significant. I understand. Right. That. And so if you close at eight then, and, and the client can only get in for two hours, they're less likely to, to less likely to want that. Right. No, I understand that. Um, but the studio the is not for general clients, really. Like I'm being very picky about who I'm letting in because I'm going to be living there too. So yeah, I don't want complete strangers in my house. Yeah. I can so, appreciate that. It's not a space that's going to make a ton of money. <laughs> and yet, um, how expensive is your interface? Uh, five grand, six, if it's for the normal people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a big bottomless pit. Oh, I know. You're diving into. Part of it is though, like, I'm going to let friends record. For sure. Bands and stuff in there. Yeah. And so, and I think that aspect of what I want to do is going to pay for all that, all the stuff that's going to be in that studio. Right. Because I've already calculated and told you about the calculations and it'll only take like four years of minimal booking to, to pay it off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's not, it's not hard to, um, to get the, to get the bookings or, or to, um, the key is the key is not spending that money and actually using all of that money to pay off the debt, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea. And that's where I I always got myself into trouble. Well, I'm pretty good at paying <laughs> off this debt so far because of the four grand that I just recently purchased in stuff. I only owe currently three. So mm. I think I'm doing pretty good. Fair Only enough. like what, two or three months in? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Although now I'm hitting the wall because a majority of that $1,000 is like me taking all my old shit and being like, here, I don't want it. And selling it. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, you know, I've seen how fast you paid off your other um layaway stuff at the store two years yeah <laughs> yeah exactly I, to be fair i didn't need that stuff so it was very kind of back of the mind because i don't need microphones i suppose um you're still targeting this time next year to open the studio though right uh ish ish yeah 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 or next summer anyway yeah yeah um, yeah, I'm currently working on getting some mixing, editing, and that kind of stuff, jobs. Right. Uh, mastering has always been like the, the big money maker for me. I, I actually, um, knowing that Roland was coming in today, um, did we introduce you? No, but we I've don't. been in a podcast before. Yeah, we don't need to introduce. <laughs> Everybody knows who he is now. He's been um, on the podcast like three or four times, man. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I mean, we're on episode 118 today. So, you know, that's... Anyway, um, 
So I wanted the, the three of us to have uh, uh, a quick conversation about mastering. I recently mastered a, um, a song from Jamaica. Okay. That was produced down in Jamaica. Roland recently mastered a, an EP um, from guys in Vancouver. And you have been doing some mastering work. Uh, I, I just don't talk to you quite as often as I do Roland. I'm so. currently waiting for the band to finish recording. Uh, but I am going to be giving them a test master in hopes that I beat out a big time producer. Right. And we, we mentioned his name on the podcast already, haven't we? Potentially. Uh, yeah. It um, doesn't, doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. But like at the end of the day, it's a guy who's done some, some bigger projects than I have done. So mm -hmm. I don't know how I get myself in these situations all the time where I'm competing against those people. I always lose. You but. used to be, you used to be a really good um, forum troll. You've kind of mellowed out in your old age. Yeah. Well, this is what happens when people you, when seem you get tend to sleep. like me more now that I'm less angry all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I have this one behind me. She likes me because I'm less angry. Although she didn't know me when I was more angry. Yeah, she, she probably wouldn't have liked you as much. Like is a strong word. Yeah, she hasn't finished her cup of coffee, so there's very little like going on at the moment. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay. So, um, one of the, one of the questions that, that came up with, um, with, uh, the master that I just did mm -hmm. was, um, it was a, it, it was a reggae song, okay. uh, done down, down in Jamaica and they, they produced four versions of the mix. Um, and one, they didn't of, give you all four, did they? They did. Yeah. Um, but that's but no. Well, no 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 just just hold on yeah. <laughs> just hold on you're jumping to conclusions here uh the four versions of well, the i'm mix just seeing potential all, headaches <laughs> all had different purposes okay so it, it was a full mix it was a uh an instrumental okay an acapella okay obviously those go hand in hand uh but there was also a tv track which that one was the one that confused me the most because it was it was the instrumental plus the backing vocals rather than um rather i don't i don't particularly know what it, what its purpose was for um so i anyway the the question came to me that i haven't yet really been able to answer um i just kind of did my best guess and move forward and i kind of want both of your guys's opinions on this do I treat them all that differently or do I run them through the same processing um, that I have, that, that I do on the full mix? Uh, probably not. Cause if probably TV not to what? <laughs> well, if the TV mix is aimed to be on TV, um, the way you like normalize it, like the full mix you, you can't do for the TV mix because of legal reasons because you can't have it super loud right yeah they're in control of the volume though like it's it's not like i'm going to give them a, a volume at a, a a track at rms of minus eight and they can't do anything about it they can just as easily turn it down they can but they want to see that stuff at like minus what is it i, I don't remember what it is and i don't do anything for tv anyway so 
it's not a thing that I've really yeah. concerned about myself. And then with, that, that's that's not something that I've ever heard. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at TV people are at the end of the day going to turn it down, but if it's like compressed to hell and then it, they turn it down and they don't have the ability to turn it up type of thing, like I, I don't know, I just hear that you're supposed to master them differently. Yeah, I've never had to work on anything intended for TV though. So yeah, my thought with the TV track was actually my, my thought with all of the alternatives was that I, I, I mean, I would process them, mm-hmm. uh, make sure that they still sounded fine, but excuse me, at the end of the day, if I was the TV guy, um, or, or mixing for a movie soundtrack or whatever, right. My thought would be, give me the unmastered track because I want to master it to whatever else I'm mastering it with, right? Like that would be my thought as the TV guy. Maybe I don't know. Um, and, and, and that that was that was what I was going to plan on the um, my recommendation to the to the client was make sure you hang on to these unmastered versions of these three tracks because well, they should a, be hanging on to all they that They should stuff be anyway. anyway. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to hang on to them, but, um, but that was my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you, what do you guys think? Well, cause you were, you were debating whether you should mass, like you should put them through the same pro- processing or not. Right. But well, I mean, I haven't heard him yet. So, but wouldn't the TV mix be differently in frequency wise than, than the, the than the rest of the stuff? So so that means that the compressor will, will react differently. That, you, you that's know. yeah, that, and, and and that's that's my thought, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long I would probably struggle to to make the compression characteristics react the same for the acapella as the full mix. You you know like I, I I can't. I think it would depend on how many compressors they put on the the mix. Because if they've compressed the hell out of it already, mm-hmm. you don't have yeah. anything to worry about because it's going to sound compressed regardless. But if right. it's not compressed all that much, yeah. then that's where problems can come. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty compressed but also really dark mix. Okay. Um, well, if it's already compressed, then chances are like whatever compressor you throw on there's like any character it might add is going to be very minute because right. you've got all this compressor color on there already. Sure. So, yeah, I suppose. Um, Roland? It also I mean, depends I, on I never done anything for TV, so. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah know. that's fair. I mean, it, it, it almost sounds like. Masking for vinyl, where it's like it's very vague. What <laughs> you're supposed to? I wanted the vinyl I wanted... guys purposely do that, though. Yeah, where they just make it vague and be like, "Oh, don't put too much bass in there." Well, like I... that's the only thing I ever hear about vinyl is like, "Don't put too much bass in your masters, or else it's going to cut through the the vinyl." Yeah, but no one ever really goes in detail as to here's the things you need to worry about when you're planning on going to vinyl. Um, the only time I've ever heard somebody kind of go in detail is when they're describing a method of going to vinyl and being like, I put lots of bass on the first couple tracks. And then as it gets closer to the middle of the, the, the side, it get, there's less bass yeah. so that I could fit more information in the, in the grooves, in the grooves. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fair. Um, that's one of those things that it's entirely possible that the three of us may never actually have our hands on. 
Yeah. Right. I'm not going to... Yeah. I don't see myself buying a vinyl cutter. <laughs> Lathe, yeah. <laughs> um, and if I did, I would probably get the injection ones because that appeals more to me. Without without the ability to do research right now, what would you change from a norm from one of your normal masters? What would you do differently specifically for vinyl? Because Roland and I had this conversation quite in depth yesterday. Um, I, don't, I don't know. To be honest, like I've never truly looked into it because nothing I've worked on was intended for for vinyl. So I've never had to think about it. Um, But I'd probably research the hell out of it and try to figure out (laughs) what was needed. I think the very first thing I would do is is call um, a mastering engineer that I know has sent stuff to vinyl. Yeah, I'd probably do that. his brain. Approach somebody that I know has done vinyl and ask them. See if they have any insight as to what I should be thinking about when mastering to vinyl. Although, um, I spoke with Jamie Sitar from Out of Town Sound, mm-hmm. um, and this is, we're probably going back a year because uh, a client I was working with at the time, we were doing all the mixes for. Um, they intended to do vinyl, but they hadn't committed to it. And so they, they wanted to make sure that just in case they do decide to commit that they had a vinyl had, master. Right. And so, um, so I, I, I posed the question to him and he said, um, I could probably find it cause it was just by email. He said that the masters that he does, which are pretty aggressively loud, um, are suitable to, uh, to go right to vinyl and that there wouldn't need to be any change. Yeah. Modern uh, records can be pushed loud, uh, but you'll often see with like the louder masters that you have to do a two disc vinyl mm. or something because you have so much information Deeper going grooves, on. Deeper grooves, so you get less. The entire time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, That's what like a lot of the pop records do. Like I have a Katy Perry record and instead of one disc for all 10 songs, it's two discs and it's right. like got three songs per side or four songs at some point, obviously, but on average three, three songs per side. Now, is that a limitation because of time or is that a limitation? No, it's a limitation because of how much bass is in those tracks. Mm, fair enough. I'm pretty sure. And yeah. how loud they are. I, I would... One of these days I'm going to actually sit down and do the research on, on, um, the frequency ranges and their, their, um, their limitations as far as vinyl goes. Cause that'll, I, I'm, I'm sure. See, and I would like to do that research, but like at the same time, it's just, I, I would need to be, I would need to have a project that is intended to go on vinyl for me to justify it. I keep wanting to, I keep wanting research. to talk my clients into doing vinyl. Yeah, but it's expensive. If I had if I had an extra thousand bucks lying around, I'd do it for mine. Uh, Roland, you just had one of your discs go to vinyl. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was one. That was one that you mixed, right? That's, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, did they have any problems? No, well, but I I, I outsourced the mastering to someone who oh, was mastering yeah. full time, and then okay. I paid for the two formats. Did and and when when he sent you the two formats. Did they sound specifically different? Uh, the vinyl sounded quieter. Okay, and it also felt like like it sounds uh, uh, like there was not an, not a lot not not that much top top end. Like he'd rolled off some of the yeah, top end. Yeah, some of the top end, and I also okay. hear the bass a bit different. 
Okay. I mean, I would have to go back and listen to it again to tell you specifically what's different about it. That but, might be, a, but, that might be a good, um, yeah. he might be a good place to start asking the question. Yeah. Like, what do you do differently Yeah. for these, for these, um, vinyl for versions? Master, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did run the, one of those masters through my, uh, spectrograph mm. and it, like it, I did, I definitely saw where he speaks where, which is a minus two. Right. And his arm was like a minus 14 or something like that. So. Oh, that's awesome. So minus 14 makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that was that was super loud for for vinyl back in the day, back yeah. in the day 30 40 years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um well, you don't want it too loud anyway or else it's going to go right through the uh the record. Ian Shepherd over at productionadvice.co.uk. Yeah. Um he says that his uh his masters generally are are pretty safe for any format including vinyl and he tends to shoot for minus 10 to minus nine peak no yeah no i've heard him talk about this he, rms he wants yeah minus 10 peak rms yeah so at yeah. at its at, loudest at its loudest level yeah it hits Absolutely. minus 10 yeah but on average it's going to be below that minus 10 so That's probably right. minus 12 minus 14 yeah i always worry um i did a master for a hip-hop guy sunday night i did two mastering jobs on sunday Holy crap. Did a mastering job for a hip hop guy on Sunday night. And well, that's I, the joys of doing mastering, man, is you can do several projects in one day. I love it. It's great. <laughs> um, and, and he, he sat me, he sat with me while I did it. Uh, but, um, I, I pushed it to normally with hip hop, I would push to, I don't know, minus eight, um, for peak RMS. Right. Yeah. I'd uh, probably go 10 and then if they want it louder, I'd go louder if but they wanted. This guy had made a comment specifically about, he, he was, he was working with, uh, um, with Jeremiah over at, uh, Soundproof Studios. Okay. And, um, and Jeremiah's away right now. So this younger guy is doing work there. Jeremiah is, uh, Jeremiah is closer to my age. He's closer to our age, I guess. Um, and he does, uh, he's more of a, he's more of an old school guy. Doesn't push volumes quite as loud. Doesn't go all that heavy with the, with the modern production styles in hip hop, but the young kid, very much the modern, I shouldn't call him a kid. I don't actually know his age, but very much that modern hip hop, you sure. know, um, I called, I called it to, uh, to someone the other day, um, pretty boy hip hop. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so this client wasn't really happy with, with, um, how it turned out with the younger guy. So he gave me a call and said, you know, can we, can we try to fix this? Is there something mm -hmm. we can do? And, and so he brought over, he brought over the stems, hip hop stems. We remixed Which it. Which is probably what the backing track in the vocal. <laughs> actually, actually it was, uh, it was a, um, all the vocals, some of them, some of the backing vocals had some pretty heavy effects on them already. Plus, um, he included a, a mix of, of the, like a stereo mix of the lead vocal, the backing vocals, or some of the backing vocals and effects already done. Um, so we just did some fixing and then mastered it. But what I told him is, is I like to, I, I prefer the sound of things a little quieter digitally. Cause I mean, it's easy to turn up and mm -hmm. he was like, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, and it'll sound, it'll sound just overall better. But if you, 
excuse me, if you want me to turn it up to what is commercially acceptable today, I can do that. Um, well, but take some time. Is probably yeah. not. Minus eight is, is, is the standard or still right no. now. Minus seven. Spotify, minus YouTube six. and all those are turning it down. They're turning it down, but that's not, that's not where the mastering ends up. Right. Like sure, the, the, but I, I'm not. I'm not talking people about people who have shown that absolutely the processing from Spotify and YouTube and stuff actually yeah. changes the sound. And I'm not disagreeing it's not with always that. Good. I'm not disagreeing can... with that. I'm just saying that doesn't factor into the formula. Yeah. Right. That doesn't factor into the formula. The destination radio squashes shit to minus four. Uh, in in most cases on commercial radio stations, which is gross, but it still happens. Yeah. Right. Um, and so. So what I'm saying is, is the, the mastering job itself for the hip hop that I, uh, th that I use as reference material, mm -hmm. which is pretty modern. It all still floats around minus eight, minus seven, which is stupid loud. And, and you know what? The rock stuff is even worse. The rock stuff still yeah, tends to come in around minus six. Really? Well, I know it's yeah. stupid. Yeah. It shouldn't, you shouldn't need to go higher than 10. I agree. I, I got this, um, this reggae track that I did last night, uh, Monday night, Sunday night. Oh, days just blending into each other. Um, I, I tried targeting minus 10 at, I tried for that, for that as a target and everything I did to make it sound better as I'm, you know, tweaking and adjusting, it just kept lowering the RMS. Cause I kept cutting out. There was tons of low mid, tons of bass, but no kick drum. Okay. But <laughs> then you just so increase awkward. the threshold. Of well, but, but, but I ended up, I ended up liking it better, um, with a little more with, with, with a little lower RMS. Um, and so I just left it. Um, the client hasn't heard it yet. He's supposed to be coming by tomorrow to, to give okay. it a listen, but, well, um, if but I like I, it, then awesome. If it's not, yeah. I mean, it's simple as just turning it up. Yeah. 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 Um, we got so very much off track of my original, que my original question. What was the original question? You guys remember? Uh, oh, when you, you asked about the four different mixes, one for two. Right. Yeah. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, okay. I don't know. We were done on that then. Okay. That's okay. Majority of the time I, I, I don't get multiple mixes. Yeah, when I do get multiple mixes, it's generally like we don't know what one we like. And it's just only the second time it's ever happened like, to me that I didn't make it myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever. Good idea though. Like, I know a lot of the opportunities that I'm submit submitting my own music to. Um, they want they want an instrumental and an acapella to go along with the submission, so that they can specific spots they can have the vocal down or the vocal up hmm. um yeah and I've, I've i've done that a handful of times for for um for some of the rock clients that i've worked with too um i mean i'm willing to bounce tracks however the band wants them but like in terms of mastering and stuff i don't like getting stems yeah, well, yeah, uh, I, I suppose, but I mean, when you need it for a specific project, I mean, that, that's why, yeah, that's why it happens. For Majority of the side, bands, right? though, that I deal with, they don't. No, they're not. They're they not looking at anything. Uh, they're not looking at anything other than that that main release. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But but if you get stamps, isn't that 
mixing that's not mastering anymore yeah uh, not necessarily it well depends what you do with them so there is there is this thing called stem mastering okay where and i actually on a really on a really unbalanced mix i would actually appreciate having the stems give me the drums give me the instruments give me the vocals um or or, or some sort of breakup because i can i can get more mileage out of out of processing each individually yeah. right rather than target problems more directly as yeah. well like if you notice that the kick drum has a lot of 30 hertz but like appro- approaching the two mix and uh, undoing that 30 hertz you'll all of a sudden lose all the low end of the the bass, the bass guitar or, or something or like something yeah oh, okay so instead you could have the stems and then just target the drums and roll off 30 hertz or you know or or, or if there's a 300 build up and you go to cut that and suddenly your vocals get really, really thin. Yeah. You know, that kind of, those kind of, those kind of things can, can make or break a mix. Yeah. Right. Or make so or break a master. stems could be useful for that, but yeah, I've more <laughs> often than not, when I've sent mixes to somebody who asks for stems, it's, uh, it's just, uh, to circumvent the mixing process, despite the fact that the band's already approved the mix. And then they mix it, and I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's an ego thing that some people do, and they just need to stop. Yeah, some people do it for ego. Others, others just do it as like they're looking at, at a way to fix a problem, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that should be after you got the two tracks and have looked at the issues that at hand, and then you know explain like, yeah. hey, I have this issue, I the best way for me to fix that is, or is these two options either get the mixer to fix it or give me the stems and I'll, I'll fix it. This is a, I hung on to this. I've started keeping emails that come through to, for, to give us things to talk about. Um, so this, this applies quite nicely. Um, this is from mastering engineer, Kate Tavini, Katie Tavini. I think that's how you pronounce her name. So she says the most important element of mastering is letting people know what could be better about the mix. Not creatively, but function, but function, but the functionality and balance of it before it gets mastered. That's the one thing you don't get with online mastering. There's no feedback. If the track is too bass heavy, it's not going to tell you that. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's ideally, that's the approach that mastering engineers would take with, before asking for stems is, is there's a couple of issues. This is probably f- why I get so many people who ask me f- to master for them. Mm-hmm. They, they actually ultimately use it as a mix advice kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause more like, I don't think I've had a single project from anyone in my circle being like, just master it. It's right. more, Hey, we want you to master it. And it, can you please be brutal and tell us how we can improve, improve our mixing? Mix. Yeah. Yeah. I actually really enjoy that mixed review process. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, that, part of the that's how work. I would approach it anyway, is just be like, because that's how I've always worked. It's just, oh, you sent yeah. me something. Hey, there's this problem here. Can you fix that? Right. And then if they're having problems fixing it, then I'll be like, okay, well, here, let me have the stems and I'll quickly fix that stuff and then send it to you and you can say yay or nay. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good process. It's one of the reasons I like going to uh, to Jamie Sitar at Out of Town Sound. Yeah. Um, he'll he'll 
send me back an email and, and say, listen, idiot. <laughs> he doesn't actually use those words. He's very nice. Uh, um, you should probably fix this, this, and this before I do anything to it because I can't really fix that. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it, it's, it's just great to have that second pair of ears, right? Yep. Um, speaking, speaking of mixing, Roland has been, I, I've watched Roland run up and down these stairs in the last week, probably 30 or 40 times, <laughs> uh, uh, doing, uh, doing a mix up here and then running out to his car to, uh, yeah, I know. Right. Um, and, and, um, it's just, dude, that's, that's, that's your running for the day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, um, do you, Joey, do you, do you have a second point of reference like that, that you rely on or go to? Uh, I'll occasionally print to MP3 and then put it on my iPad or iPhone and listen out of that. Okay. Nothing, nothing that you use to, to double check the the um, the low end or or the high I don't end necessarily use it to check the mix because I'm usually pretty confident of the mix okay um, it's more to check it on consumer devices and see if it translates well gotcha but I do have my Behringer thing too that your baritone my baritone yeah. do you uh, and it do sounds you, like shit so do you just have it, it sitting on your okay desk on that, then... <laughs> uh, I do want to get a mono crappy thing like that you started laughing when he said uh car speakers like is there a story behind there or what no no because oh. when he said that like he goes to his car and it checks the mixes in the car like i know he started laughing oh i was just laughing because of the idea of you yeah. like running yeah. up oh, and down yeah. like, <laughs> several times in the day just to check yeah. on your car yeah. it was amusing to me yeah not necessarily yeah. that car speakers are bad like if i well i, I might do it someday take out car speakers and just <laughs> yeah, but it's not about the speakers it's about the environment right yeah that, like snow no square corners yeah that's, sure yeah. but car speakers also are little tiny things so yeah. they're not always not always no but majority of them are little tiny things so i have um i have this uh set of i think they're two inch speakers in cardboard boxes like literally their, their speaker box is cardboard box and they're just powered off a headphone amp. Right. Yeah. And they sound dreadful. They, they actually, they actually sound better face down on a table. Right. Um, I should, I should bring those out again. I have, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to bring those out again. Cause That'll be fun. They're just sitting over there on the shelf. It's, I don't know. I, I enjoy having a speaker that I know sounds like garbage. Right. So I have the baritones. I was thinking about buying a second one, but I don't know. Do you really need, like, are you really worried about the stereo image when it sounds like garbage? No. No, you're really just, like, when it, through a, through a device like your iPad or, or your phone or, or. It, yeah, that's right. what's been holding me off for, like, the last four years of buying a second one. Yeah, it's just uh, do I need it? And I usually go like no, but then I always have that thought of like, but what if I want to listen in stereo garbage? <laughs> <laughs> I got some. I have some old headphones from the nineties. They have they have the MTV logo on the side. Oh my god, uh -huh. really? Yeah, that's yeah. old. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they're um, 
They're just they're just like plastic little sit over top of your head yeah. things. Yeah, they sound awful. We should hang them somewhere over here, or like put them in a frame. Put them in a frame. Yeah, because those are gonna be maybe they'll they'll probably be. I actually worth the, a lot more the, in fifty uh, years. The the ear pad the foam actually just fell apart on me yesterday. Hmm. Ended up throwing it out. Yeah. Now they don't even have foam. <laughs> they're really dark. Like they have no high end either. Right, like they 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 probably have they probably have a pretty steep roll off around six k, just gone. Could be the age of the cone too. That could be. It's not exactly. I, th- I think they were ten dollar headphones at the time. Right. Yeah. So it's probably a combination of the <laughs> two. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, let's change gears. Um, Gibson has filed for bankruptcy. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? It's not what people think. Well, it's just, it's bankruptcy protection, right? Well, no, they filed bankruptcy, yeah. but all it means is that the people that they owe money to are in charge of the company. Ish. Yeah. No, like that is what the situation is, is the people who Gibson owes money to are in charge. Henry, the guy who is responsible for like the robo tuners and all the things that got yeah. Gibson in trouble right. and in the debt that they were in, he has to step aside. Like he's still a figurehead like high up in the still food the chain CEO. yeah but he doesn't get to make any of the financial decisions it's the people that that company own or uh, yeah that that company owes a lot of money to those people get to make the decisions gotcha and those people are deciding to sell off a lot of gibson stuff that doesn't have to do with guitars interesting Right, so they they want to they want to make the the, uh, the guitar side of the business is actually making money. It was all the other stupid crap like having a sonar and stuff like that that yeah. lost them money. Robot tuners lost them a lot of money. <laughs> that pissed a lot of people off. Oh yeah, so nobody liked them. Yeah, yeah 2015 yeah. they put robot tuners on all of all Gibsons. Just all Gibsons. All Gibsons. Like not even an option. Yeah, it wasn't an option to not have them. That doesn't make any you sense. You had to buy. A, a separate set of things but because of the backlash they had to then be like okay everybody who doesn't want robot tuners we will give you normal tuners and even pay for shops to replace them for you and stuff and like a lot of people did that because mm. those robot tuners sucked we ha- i don't know they we had we had one in the studio probably in 2015 and sure. uh, well, when they work they're awesome yeah, that's fair. But more often than not, they would stop working, and uh, you can't manually tune those things. You can't manually tune them? No. What? The, 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 like the gears themselves will lock, and like if you try to twist, it's like no you kidding. have to really crank those things, oh, which that's... you shouldn't have to do to tune your guitar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea. No, it's a terrible idea. So the brands they're keeping are Gibson, Epiphone. KRK and Sirwin Vega. Yeah, because all of those things are making money. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm looking for. I, I'm looking on this thing for. Uh, uh, okay, here we go. Um, current other brands currently owned by Gibson uh, include Dobro, Valley Arts, Kramer, Steinberger. That's not the same as Steinberg. No, Steinberg's uh, owned by Yamaha. Yeah. Um, Tobias, Slingerland Drums, Maestro, Baldwin Pianos, Hamilton, 
Chickering and Wurlitzer Pianos. Yeah, so a lot of those companies will probably be sold off mm. or just or just closed. Dissolved. Like dissolved, yeah. That makes sense. Although if they can if they can sell them like they like they sold off Sonar, right? Yeah. 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 I'm sure they're going to actively try to sell them off and then if they can't sell them off, they'll just dissolve the company. Right. Uh, because yeah, they were doing a lot of things that just cost them a lot of money. It was a big risk to to branch out so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder what's going to happen to Tascam. Is Tascam owned by Gibson? It is. Yeah. Um, It'll probably. I don't know. Like, if they do sell it off, someone's going to buy it because it's Tascam. It it is a well known brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they might not sell it off because people do buy Tascam stuff all the time. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, okay. But I don't know. I, I've been answering that question pretty much all week this week. And it's just, just oh, really? been like, no, they're not going to stop making guitars. I never assumed that they would, you know? Yeah. Um, but people who don't understand what bankruptcy is, they they just assume they're going out of business. Yeah, they, yeah. they assume, oh, they're bankrupt. That means uh, all the guitars are no longer going to be available. I should buy my guitar now. Cause you should use be... that to your advantage. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the guitar guys have been doing that. I don't hang out in guitars, so like, right. I don't get the opportunity to use that to my advantage. Although right now, like, it's pretty clear as day that Gibson's not going away. It's just changing who makes the decisions right now. Right. And it's probably for the better. Because the people who have stake in that company, they want to see, they want to see that company make money because it's their money that's in that company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right. So, uh, yeah, it's probably a good idea that the the guy who is responsible for robot tuners and stuff has to step aside, step aside, and let other people make decisions. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Okay. Um, where else can we go? Um, Guitar Center is also potentially going to file bankruptcy. Really? Mm-hmm. What's the story there? Uh, they're not making as much money as they used to. Okay, so they're actually going out of business. Uh, they were stupid and they changed their model because uh, they used to be kind of like Long McQuaid and do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but then something happened and they decided that we're going to narrow down. And so they got rid of a lot of their departments like pro audio. Um, apparently some guitar centers, you can't even buy a bass guitar. Wow. What? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The only thing you can buy is guitar. So like, it just makes it a guitar place instead of like, you can buy, I don't know. Apparently it used to be, you could buy like anything you wanted, um, another thing where people are speculating why guitar centers losing money is their hiring practices. Uh, they don't hire people who are knowledgeable and experienced in the music industry. They just hire 16 year old kid who is just getting started and probably not as knowledgeable. And then of pay course, them less. yeah, pay them less and 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard that as a common complaint about Guitar Center. Yeah. Well, when I was there, I, I knew I, and I didn't know much, but like I hated it because I was constantly. You worked? I didn't work at Guitar oh. Center. I, I, when I was in the States, though, I made a visit to a Guitar Center once. Gotcha. And uh, generally, commission-based music stores, I, I avoid like the plague. Because every time I go to one, I get treated a certain way, and I don't like it. Yeah. I feel that way when I go into Axe Music. Yeah. I, have they, have they made the Long and McQuay? Still Axe, but... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. June... 15th or something like that okay. is when the transition crazy happens i believe they're gonna be long on mcquay now yeah yeah, yeah they were bought McQuaid bought, bought in out. january or something yeah it was uh, in december but yeah, yeah long on mcquay it was bought out a while ago and we're like, still in the transition period yeah That's you know why. you know how i always talk about um if you're a bassist and specializing is good so why guitar and special like narrowing down to just sell guitars why is that a bad thing because they established themselves as the go-to spot for everything Okay. Once you do that, if if you narrow yourself down, like you then are pushing away see the customers. If, if they had done, if they had, if they had specialized when the market was right, you know, like the market twenty years ago was ripe for them to narrow down and be just a guitar sales place. That's why they blew up as yeah what they were because that's pretty much what they did is sell guitars when guitars was the thing everybody wanted. But guitar sales have been dying the last decade and it's been going down every single year because they're less popular right now and so for guitar center to, to make a move to sell something to, to eliminate all the tiny little money makers right like like batteries when i was working sales in an electronic store batteries was the biggest money maker because it was huge profit margins but it was and, tiny little sales and music stores uh, cables are the huge money maker right markup on those are insane yeah yeah because they're it's essentially really cheap to make really cheap to supply right yeah. the most expensive parts is always the ends of those cables yeah and so so with guitar center specializing in a dying market not a dying market but a dwindling market and uh, eliminating a lot of things that were making the money. Oh, okay. Right? Um, yeah. 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 It, it, they didn't do anyone favors by creating deals with like Gibson and Fender and stuff to make it so that all the mom and pop shops couldn't get Gibson or Fenders. Oh, yeah. I remember um, hearing about that. Yeah. So they, they like G Gibson and Guitar Center are actually really closely kind of related to each other in a sense <laughs> uh, because they worked, worked they worked out a deal with each other so that like guitar center i think gets cheap gibsons or something like that and all the mom and pop shops because they can't do the numbers guitar center can do couldn't really compete with that i wonder um, I, I wonder how much that contributed to gibson's downfall too Potentially. I don't know. I, I see a lot of complaints about Gibson being like overpriced, uh, shitty guitars, but it's like, have you played a Gibson? Cause they're, they're good guitars for the most still. part. Yeah. And, and like they are priced because someone in the United States probably spent like six months to a year building that guitar, especially like the, some of those stupid expensive ones, like the $10,000 <laughs> ones that they only have like a hundred of. Right. Yeah. 
Um, but even the $2,000 ones, like somebody built that by hand. So, yeah. But As that, opposed to your $500 guitars that are built by a machine. Built by a machine in an offshore factory. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't automatically make them bad. No. But. But the, like, that's what you're paying for is like having a human built yeah. thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And they play great. I don't understand why people think they don't play great anymore. Yeah. I, I, uh. It had to be. It had to be the 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 feeling that their prices just kept going up. Yeah. Right. Because um, it's if you pick up a two hundred dollar two hundred dollar Epiphone, which is body wise the same as your two thousand dollar one, although not really. Well, I mean, it's as close as it would be. It's the basic a, body shape, but yeah. you don't have all the. Uh, contours and stuff on the $200 one which is fair like if we we're just to look at uh, say Les Pauls like an Epiphone Les Paul Special 2 that's just basically the the shape like the the basic outline but it's like just a piece of flat board right as opposed to even if you spent a little bit more let's say $700 on um, a standard by Epiphone like that thing has actual like curves to it it's not just the the body outline there's actually like curves to the the top that they have you might have like flamed maple on top of the mahogany mm. are Les Pauls mostly mahogany bodies I thought they were uh, um, I thought they were mostly walnut um, maple you can't have you ever played a pure maple body guitar that's heavy yeah that's like 30 pounds yeah that's insane (laughs) (laughs) a les paul with like mahogany and the maple on top can weigh close to 15 20 pounds and that's a lot yeah it's one of the things i love about um about that prs copy that i had made um all mahogany no maple on it at all and it nice and light yeah. Really, really yeah, nice. I mean, light. mahogany sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. What's, um, as you guys, the guitar experts, and I'm clearly not, um, what, <laughs> what, what, uh, what is the big difference aside from the weight? What is the big tonal difference between a maple and a mahogany body? Um, mahogany tend to be a little bit brighter than maple. Maple tends to be a bit of a darker sound. Really? Cause I always thought it was the other way around. It's my memory. Okay. I usually have a combination of the two, though. Like, I, I generally have a maple top with a mahogany body mm. guitar. So I kind of get be- the best of both worlds. Gotcha. So, but that know? was my memory. No, I don't know. I play active pickups, too, which kind of... You wear what now? I play active pickups, which usually Act- okay. kind of makes the body a little... Redundant. Redundant, yeah. Not yeah. redundant, irrelevant. Irrelevant, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, with active pickups at that point, the body is a very small part of the tone. Yeah, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Still is in there, though. Just not as much as in passive pickups. Which I don't know why. Well, with, it, with an active pickup, you can, have, you can have some sort of EQ circuit in there. You can have... Um, yeah, you have elect- electronics that actually 
contribute to the amplification of the tone and there's always some sort of tone to an active pickup right yeah. whereas the pa- passive pickups are far more reliant on on just the passive amplification of or yeah. conversion of that vibration into signal i guess yeah so i guess the vibration of the body would affect the tonal quality of what it's picking up yeah although i think it depends a lot on how much how much gain and what type of what type of overdrive you're yeah pushing, i mean right? if you're distorting the hell out of it you, it's very little body tone coming out of that anyway yeah did you guys ever did you did you guys ever watch that um that video that glenn fricker did on his youtube channel about uh um how much does the how much do your fingers contribute to the tone for a high gain tone and he contributes had, a lot he had see his his results were very different he had seven different guitar players play the exact same part and it was hard to distinguish between yeah, them. he's got like seven good guitar players sure uh, I, okay so so let's let's <laughs> eliminate shitty throw, guitar players like, out of uh, the conversation <laughs> well not even a shitty guitar just get a mediocre guitar player like their their fingers are going to be going to contribute a little bit to a more muffled sound at least in my experience yeah but that's i mean that's um if if you're just a mediocre guitar player that's just it's just not good right so you're not going to get good tone anyway no right like that's that's the difference between a mediocre guitar player and a good guitar player is your fingers make a difference right yeah because that, but that, that, that's, that's, but that's my argument is that uh, okay, fingers okay. make a difference. Okay. So like your professional level guitarists, like they're all going to sound great because they have that note clarity and stuff that, but that was the argument is, is let's assume that you're a, you're a decent guitar player, right? That you can make a guitar sound the way you want it to sound. I think right? I saw that video. It's been a while since I probably saw it, but it do remember seeing something vaguely like that and hearing a difference between all the guys mind you the difference was minute pretty but there was a difference yeah it wouldn't be enough for me to like really put any focus on it though right if i was that's fair producing or mixing or whatever that's fair the Um, end of the day if i can hear what they're trying to play then yeah we're good um a twist on that a twist on the fingers thing um i i've I've long been a believer that um i've long been a believer that um you need uh you need to learn on an acoustic guitar how to play guitar because if you don't if you learn on an electric guitar um you have no actual actual control over the subtleties of dynamics in the in the playing of the instrument right you you mask all of that with overdrives and distortions and amplifiers um i've seen people do that i don't necessarily think that you need to play on an acoustic to be good at dynamics but certainly there's a lot of players that think they're good but they mask their inadequacies with with distortions yeah Yeah. alright 
But that's that's the end of the episode. I guess we'll see you guys all next time. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.